Linux out loud is firing up our mics, connecting those headphones as we search the community for themes to expound upon. We keep the banter friendly, the conversation somewhat on topic, and have fun doing it. This week, we're spouting off about our favorite canceled projects. Let's get into episode 57. Linux Out Loud is brought to you by Linode and Bitwarden. With me today are my two favorite adult children, Nate and Matt. How are you guys? Fantastic. <laughs> that, you hit the nail on the head on that one. <laughs> Mom, what are you talking about? I think you know. <laughs> Matt said mean words to me. <laughs> What's new? I mean, Matt, that wasn't very nice. Nate said he didn't like Arch, Mom. <laughs> well, he'll learn eventually, maybe, hopefully. Probably not. No, he won't. <laughs> yeah. No, he won't. Not, yeah, no, he won't. So that gosh dang HB Elite book is acting up again. What is it doing now? Well, the, the keyboard on my HP Elite book, not very old, it's less than three years old, is starting to fail. The I think I talked about it a while ago, but the the T key on it, the hinge failed and broke and fell off. And then um, I had to get a new key for it because I didn't want to take the thing apart. Well, now I don't have a choice because the 5 and the 6 key, as well as the F5 slash mute key button, the speak mute the speaker button, is also intermittent now. And so I contacted the HP support. And, they, and if I were to send it in, it'd be like an eight business day turnaround. And that just doesn't work for me. So I said, well, they said, would you feel comfortable putting in a keyboard yourself? And ever seen the movie Liar, Liar when he wants, yeah. yeah. And I wanted to say no, but I was like, yes. <laughs> and anyway, so they sent me another keyboard and I'll be replacing the keyboard on it. So it's, it's just going to be a really long process because you have to take everything out of it. You have to basically, you know, gut the thing and uh, mm. hopefully not lose the screws. So it'll be, it'll be a process. And um, yeah, and it'll, I mean, it's not awful right now, but I'm going to do it probably tomorrow or, or maybe even this evening yet just, just to get it done with because it, it is, it's really irritating because when I go, to, I, apparently I use five and six a lot more than I thought, and especially when I have to type 65. And so when you hit six and five and nothing happens and there's just a dollar sign in front of it, I'm like, you know, then you start banging on the keyboard. It, it just gets really frustrating. And um, I don't want to break the <laughs> thing. It's still a nice laptop. I just don't think they make keyboards like they used to. Not to sound like an old man. I, I'm just disappointed in the keyboard quite a bit. And I blame Apple. <laughs> because they started with that whole horrible chiclet style keyboard yeah, thing. they did. And then everyone wanted that horrible chiclet style keyboard. I don't. I can't even stand the gosh dang rubber dome one that's in the kitchen right now. We had a keyboard failure but I think part of that was the fact that this was a cheaper keyboard. It was hanging out in the kitchen. Not only had it had stuff spill on it, but it had stuff <laughs> drop on it from that upper cupboard. And right. so one of the buttons, it was like a shift key, was sometimes permanently on. Oh, that's nice. So there were certain things you couldn't type. It was hard to log in. Every time you clicked on something, it would open a new window instead of <laughs> inside the same browser window. Just a total pain in the butt. That's funny. And we had an old Logitech one 
that of course has rubber domes that we were able to hook up to it and make the kitchen system usable. But I absolutely hate using the kitchen system right now because I can't stand the keyboard that's on it. I get it. I have pretty low standards when it comes to keyboards. Like they don't have to be that great at all. They just have to be consistent. And the Elite Book is kind of missing the the boat here on the consistency when the keys fail. But as far as like the the actual distance, the key travel, it's fine. That's not, not a big complaint to me. And then also keys falling off, that's also kind of a problem too. That's the first laptop I've ever had where keys just decided they wanted to quit. But what can you do? Yeah, I'd say overall that's a bigger problem. A much bigger problem just being a rubber dome. Oh. Yeah. I can deal with rubber dome. In fact, most of my keyboards rubber dome and eh, they're fine. I prefer the mechanical, but um, actually the, the nicest keyboard I have to type on is my Dell Latitude. It's a 2014 model that actually has the smoothest laptop keyboard I've ever used. And, uh, and I wish Dell would go back to something or I wish the industry would go back to that style of keyboard, but I don't see it happening. Well, Matt, I didn't see you making this review, but it looks like it happened. Yeah, it kind of happened. So for those that don't know, uh, a few months ago, I had picked up a Atari VCS. Well, also within that few months time frame, I also upgraded said Atari VCS. And I ended up doing a review of it as not the Atari VCS, because honestly, really not my demographic. I'm really not the demographic for it. So... It was interesting to review something that I am not the target audience for. I mean, granted, some of the stuff I've reviewed would also say I'm not the target audience for. Look at you, anything I've ever reviewed for Apple. (laughs) So for me, I decided to kind of do a review for GameSphere because I turned mine into a Steam console, Steam box, Steam machine, call it whatever you want. Um... I did not use Hollow ISO because it seemed to have some issues. So I ended up using Chimera OS, which, funny enough, one of the developers contacted me on the comments actually a couple hours ago and said that they didn't even know about those Ryzen embedded uh, integrated systems at all. So <laughs> I might there might be some performance increases if you go that route that I just went. So, uh, yeah, it was... It's an interesting piece of tech. If you keep your expectations realistic, it can be a decent computer if you just want to use it as a PC. Or it can be a media server, streamer, local playback machine. Or like PS3 era level of gaming. So for an integrated system that realistically the GPU is not what I'd call super high end. I mean, it's only... The overall system is a two-core, four-thread system, so it's not, like, super high-end. But once you do a few tweaks in the BIOS to get some better GPU performance and stuff, uh, you you can actually get some pretty decent gaming on it. Uh, I showed Nate a video I had going, and it was I was playing Castlevania Lord of Shadows at 720p max everything, and it was running at a solid 60. So stuff like that, which is kind of cool. I mean... 60 frames per second, 720p. I mean, you don't need 720p for most games I play. <laughs> Nate, you don't, you don't even need like 32 kilobytes of RAM <laughs> for most of the games you play. 64? 64. All right. On some of them, 256 or maybe 512, you know, for like that Sonic game on Commodore 64, that, that requires a little more. I, I, would, I, I would almost say 640 is too much. Probably, yeah. 
<laughs> but uh, as a at price, I wouldn't recommend it. Like at the two to three hundred price that they generically sell for, I would not recommend it at all. However, if you're a collector, it's just kind of like a no-brainer collection thing. Like it's a niche piece of hardware. It's gonna make sense if you're a collector. For me, if you're a tech guy, like just from a hardware perspective, the things when it's on sale is half the price of the base level Steam Deck and you can get decent performance out of it and you kind of get some of the perks of the Steam Deck like with the dual booting and the different OSs and all. You do get upgradability, which is something from a hardware internals perspective you don't get with the Steam Deck, but you're also not getting, you know, four cores you're getting two so it, it's kind of relative right but i think it's a it's a good machine i like the design of the the actual unit uh as far as the console itself and that kind of stuff definitely if you're looking for a baseline introductory system to linux get the onyx all back edition it's like 70 bucks to upgrade super easy to open and the only thing is getting to the RAM, which is on the bottom of the board, which you have to take a few screws out, flip the Wi-Fi chip over, and kind of get to the RAM that way. Kind of obnoxious. SSD is really easy because you pop off the top, and it's like, oh, it's right there. So they made it fairly accessible for the system that it is. But uh, I would use it as the base. If you're looking for Linux hard, like cheap Linux hardware to introduce somebody to Linux to uh, like on a desktop or a mouse and keyboard. That's a pretty good system in that regard. Once you upgrade it. My question would be, can you access those Atari games from the system that you installed? Could you, can you access like all the, the, the fun arcade and classic <laughs> Atari stuff? Or do you have to dual boot to get that? Uh, so the Atari vault stuff, you mean that comes with the system? Correct. Um, you, can get those, but you will have to purchase those separately, unfortunately. So you'll have to buy the Atari Vault collection on Steam or insert area here where you're going to buy it. And then you can do it that way if you want. I don't have a lot of positive things to say about the Atari like OS in and of itself. I did not have a stellar first user experience, and I'll leave it at that. Yeah, I thought it was fine. I, I just wonder if you can access that stuff. I suppose just dual booting it has probably worked just as well. Well, the problem is when, so defaultly, there's two ways because it's always default. It defaults to the EM, EMMC storage that's on the device first, so Atari OS. Mm-hmm. Even after you put in, you know, Grub and install Linux distro or Windows, I don't know why you would, but hey, do you, I guess. Um, <laughs> so for that regard, you actually have to go in the BIOS and change it so that it goes SSD EM. MC and then that route first. So there, there's weird things like that that you have to do on some of the stuff for it's a tankers machine. It's more tankery than the uh, steam uh, than steam deck. So anyway, that, that's kind of my take on the VCS. Uh, we've talked about that enough. I'm surprised Wendy's even remotely still awake right now. Cause video games, um, <laughs> she likes video games. Oh, don't worry about it. I'm actually taking care of some robot stuff while you guys are talking about that. So it's cool. Like have at her. Well, that sounds like a great segue. <laughs> <laughs> the segues here just write themselves sometimes. So Wendy, what type of robotics thing are you taking care of at the moment? Sometimes. <laughs> 
Well, actually, I have been working on buttons for the Tesla coils, but last week we talked about the fact that I was really, really frustrated because we just didn't seem to be getting a whole lot of code written. And there was a lot of little things that we needed to work out. Of course, the kids needed to write functions. Now, every single member of the team has wrote a function. Some of them are related to turns. Some of them are related to the lights on the color sensors. There's quite a few different functions that they've got. But every single team member has written a function and we're working on every single team member having written a mission. At this point, we had tremendous progress yesterday. So before, last time we talked, we'd had run one done, which only contained one mission. And we finally had run two solid, which contained two missions. Well, actually one mission and then gathering a battery for a second mission, quote unquote battery. And we'd kind of been stuck at that spot for a while. Well, yesterday the kids hit the ground running. We were able nice. to write six missions. Absolutely fantastic. Have all of them functioning quite well. And we've got four more missions left to write. So tomorrow is Friday. Tomorrow is another one of those days where we've got a four-hour block. And the goal is to have those last four missions written. And then for them to be able to write the Python file that contains all of their individual missions rolled into one and use that for their finished run. So instead of having to run through the menu... The robot, when it gets back to the home, they reset, hit the button again, it goes off and does whatever it needs to. But then based on our menu system, if something goes wrong with one of those runs, they can grab the robot, bring it back home and be able to start it wherever they left off. So pretty cool. We are actually seeing some really awesome progress. The presentations are, like we talked about before, rewritten. They did some practice on that today during our Thursday co-op day. There are a couple tweaks that are going to end up coming into that. We found some more information from the company that the kids have been working with for their innovation project. It is a super awesome change. I don't have all the details on that yet, so I don't want to announce it here until we hear back of all the full details. Because there was a member of that company that saw one of our team members at a community function and was like, hey, I've got an update for you. So we're trying to get just a little bit more information on that before we talk about it too much on here. And then it can be written into the presentations. But awesome stuff. We have some great stuff happening. I'm hoping tomorrow can be just as productive as yesterday was. And then we can use the rest of our time to just practice, practice, practice and have a super solid foundation when we hit Worlds in April. Well, that's awesome. I am curious to know what this could possibly be this thing that you're keeping under a hat, but I'll, I'll be patient. I won't pry. And I look forward to hearing about whatever it could possibly be because <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping it's something really wonderful. Well, I can tell you behind the scenes. It's just not something I want launched in public quite yet. Okay. I have said some things wrong before, and I typically apologize them to everybody for that. And I messed up the show last week where I didn't realize I put the wrong ad in the ad two spot. My husband was out of the state and had listened to the show pretty early in the morning. And I was talking to him on my way to robotics. And he's like, hey, 
was this ad supposed <laughs> to be in there? And I'm like, no, and obviously can't do anything about it. So I contacted Nate, which I would have contacted Michael directly myself, but Discord doesn't have a way to just hold the button and talk hmm. into it. But Telegram does, so I was able to shoot Nate a really quick message. He was able to get a hold of Michael. Michael was able to fix the show. So it all got fixed before... I even got home from robotics. Awesome group of people around me, by the way. So I, I mess up plenty. And I'd rather not mess this one up knowing that I don't have all the information. Makes sense. Well, you know, we're only human. Everyone makes mistakes. <laughs> I am not above admitting that I am not perfect. Matt probably thinks he's perfect, but I know better. <laughs> <laughs> Far from it. I mean, Nate, if you know my distro history, you should know uh, far from it. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. And I don't mean because I'm using Arch. Oh, I thought that's what you meant. Well, I'm sure he always thinks he has the perfect game recommendation. That's for sure. Except for maybe not this week. (laughs) (laughs) This episode of Linux Out Loud is brought to you by Linode. Visit linode.com slash tux and see why over a million developers trust Linode for their infrastructure. From their award-winning support to their ease of use and setup, Linode has been a trusted partner for developers and businesses since 2003 because they offer the industry's best price-to-performance value for all compute instances, including shared, dedicated, high-memory, and GPUs. Linode makes cloud computing simple, affordable, and accessible, allowing you to focus on your customers, not your infrastructure. Visit linode.com slash tux to create a free account, plus you'll get a 60-day $100 credit to your account. We've all been in Linux just long enough to have some projects that we've fallen in love with, and then, unfortunately, for some reason, they go away. And that's kind of what we're highlighting here. Some of that stuff that's been in the past, stuff that we still miss, and why we miss it. You're up first, Nate. What is that long-lost project that's gone? But It's not really exactly gone, per se, but it was something I was really excited about and didn't really um, happen. And that'd be Ubuntu Touch. And I, I know UbiPorts is a thing, and it's continuing on. It's carried the torch, and they're even possibly doing better than, than what Ubuntu was doing at the time. But I had a lot of high hopes. Even though I wasn't in the Ubuntu ecosystem, system, I had a lot of high hopes that there would be a company, a well-known Linux company, a, a good brand, a solid brand, going to bring a mobile open source Linux experience to the market that would have had great support and, and so forth. I, I was actually ready to put money down on something, you know, when we got developed out. And then they canceled the project, I think. Was it 2018 or something like that? 17. 17. All right. Anyway, it kind of took a little wind out of my sails because I, if nothing else, you know, if, if Ubuntu had finally like pushed that thing forward, you know, there would have been probably some other, you know, uh, distros out there that might have been able to use some of that work to have some other offerings as well. And it's nothing against the other offerings out there with, with uh, Plasma Mobile and Ubi Ports and, and so forth. But I think the lack of a, a corporate backing that's really pushing something is, is kind of held the whole thing back. And so that's, that would be my biggest disappointment of canceled uh, Linux projects out there is the Ubuntu Touch didn't become a thing. 
Yeah, I think there were quite a few people that had some high hopes for that and not necessarily a bunt to touch as a project itself, but seeing a larger company inside of Linux try to make this a big thing, a wider known piece of software hardware combination. And it just didn't kickstart this open source phone quite like they wanted to. System 76, not System 76. Pine has definitely done way more in the realm of that with the hardware that they've had. And there is some great support for other open source mobile systems, even Ubuntu Touch carrying on in a different way. But yeah, it is kind of disappointing that we didn't see it as this launch that we were hoping for, but at least it's not completely dead. We'll eventually, hopefully, get there. At least it's growing year by year anyway. And, and there's even a, a release, a new release of Ubuntu Touch or Ubi Ports. They, they're now at the um, 1E04 or something like that, I think. I can't remember now which version. A focal-based. So it's, yeah, 2004. So that's, that's now at the... Uh, the base of uh, UbiPorts now. So it is moving forward. Seems like it's a little bit slow, but it is making progress, even if it's not at the speed that I was kind of hoping for. So I am grateful for all the work that's being done. I'm just sad that Canonical didn't keep pushing this thing forward. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I know for me, the whole thing that I loved was the portability factor of what con you know convergence could mean. Not necessarily what it meant at the time, but what it could mean in the future. And I think that was one of the driving things that I liked personally about it. So when they kind of bowed out from it, it was like, ah, oh, man. And as much as I love the work that the folks of it, you know, reports and whatnot have done and been able to do, not having that corporate backing um, to talk to like telcos and that kind of stuff and hardware vendors really limits um what they're able to do exactly and not in a bad way not undercutting that what their efforts have been done just simply from an overall ecosystem perspective it it, it does hurt when you see a project like that go away the other thing too is the the other uh possibilities of, of interoperability I, I don't like the term convergence because the way it was just overused like in 2016-ish time frame but the idea like now, I'm going to give the devil its due, but the interoperability between an, like the Apple laptops to their mobile devices and tablets and everything is pretty awesome. And to have something, I know you can do a lot of that stuff in Linux. It takes some work and you know I have my own ways of doing it, some of that stuff. But the way Apple implemented it, because they control everything the way they do, is a very awesome product. That one aspect of it. The rest of it's garbage. But that aspect of it. <laughs> to have that possibility, even like in an Ubuntu ecosystem where they could have had the, the interoperability between the, the Ubuntu desktop and the Ubuntu touch phone and, and so forth, that would have been super awesome to see. I'm still hoping for something like that. I mean, KDE Connect is pretty great. You can do some really awesome things with that that you can't even do with, with the, um, the iProducts. So, I mean, there are some really cool things in the open source, but, you know, there might have been something really cool that would have come from it. I know that's a, it's a lot of maybes and mites, but I, I saw the potential and it didn't happen. <laughs> what about you, Matt? Is there anything out there that 
you kind of kick in the rocks about that you wish would have been a thing that has not become a thing? Yeah, there's a few different projects that I can think of off the top of my head anyway. Um, I would say Unity, but that's been picked back up, so I can't really... And I mean the desktop, not the <laughs> graphics uh, game-making engine. Right. I know what you're going with that. For me, I've always been more of a like a local music person, so music storage and movies and all that stuff. So like when I see a lot of the music players that come out, I always try some of the most weird esoteric stuff that there is. I'm not going to lie. No fooling. <laughs> For me, it's a lot of these other kind of music apps and stuff. Uh, one of them that comes to mind was called Songbird, which was based off the Gecko engine at the time, well, at least when it came out. So it had what they called Feathers, which were essentially add-ons for the music player that the community developed very much playing into Mozilla. So that getting discontinued was sad to see because it had a lot of cool features that the community added to it. There was a continuation for a little bit, but that didn't go very far. Um, And another one was called Tomahawk, which was a cross-platform music player for pretty much every OS. So it pulled in local music it pulled in online sources you could and even this is before a lot of other applications were making it so you could hook in like spotify premium and all that stuff so you could pull in spotify you could pull in last fm at the time you could pull in all those accounts into one ui and jump between everything very very simply and easily that unfortunately was essentially abandoned in 2017, and I was very, very sad to see that because that was like one of my favorite music players for online, offline, just everything. But honestly, Nate, the one that I miss the most because it hasn't really, and I mean honestly, been updated because I think the last official release was 2014 was one that Sousa helped with because it was mono. It was Banshee. Huh. Banshee was... Easily one of my most favorite music apps ever. What what particular features did it have that you really wish you could have now? It was a multimedia manager, as in more than just music. Oh, <laughs> so more like the iTunes kind of a, a feel to it? Not even iTunes. Audio, video, everything. So while VLC and singular apps are great, you have to create playlists and all the other stuff. Banshee allowed you just to port all that stuff into the app. It remembered your videos. It remembered, you know, it remembered all the folders where you put everything and all the other stuff. So it wasn't just a, Hey, play this video on this particular app, uh, this particular point, because I need it to play now. It's more of a, Hey, I can open the app, go to where exactly I want say I wanted to play a movie or whatever. And it, that's it. Whereas I'm not a fan of kind of the current way of doing kind of, media management in Linux for the most part um, with pl- various playlists and all the other kind of annoying things that I'm not a fan of when it comes to that personal preference. But I would, my thing was I was usually making mixed playlists. So audio, video, all that kind of stuff. So some was a watch, some was listened to, etc. You can still do that, but you have to do it from within the app, from within the file manager to create a playlist. It, like it's just clunky. So for me, Banshee was very much a, a, a breath of fresh air when it didn't involve that. Cause it was just like, 
port my point it to the videos folder, point it to the music folder. It imports everything. Go to where my videos are, playlist. And it was just nice and clean. Yeah, I never used Banshee. Actually, I never even heard of it, surprisingly. Yeah, neither have I. But that seems kind of similar to how I could get out of like a Kodi or, or even using something like, you know, MB on a server. Yes, yeah. Uh, so, but this was designed around the desktop, like the desktop implementation. So it condensed everything down into one for it. So you're you're not wrong, but for the desktop, I've found it very, very convenient in that regard. Oh, no doubt. Yeah, that sounds really convenient. But yeah, no, I missed out on that one. The, the one that I used that was similar, but had no video. And I thought, man, it'd be really cool if there was an application I could do video and audio was uh, Amarok before the Plasma 4, where you could just point it to a directory or a series of directories and it would import all the music. You could, you could do like mm-hmm. just rapid filtering down and, and get it whatever music out you wanted. Super convenient. Really like it. I mean, actually the new Amarok still does it, the newer stuff. Uh, it, in fact, it, it still is my default music player now because I can then also import like a, a internet radio sources. I can pull those mm-hmm. things in and so forth. So... I mean, it's okay, it's, but it's a little bit clunky. Like, if you know how to use it, it's great, but if, like for a new user who just wants to play something and go, that's probably not as convenient. I don't even know what's convenient anymore, actually. I, I think, I'm, I think my, my face has been inside all this <laughs> far too long that I don't even know what's convenient. Oh, one thing I did forget to mention. The other thing I did like was back when music was more of a focal point about being DRM-free and all that kind of stuff, because this goes to show how old this is. And this is the one thing I didn't mind for for Amazon. Within app, you had access to Jamindo, which is like a Creative Commons uh, download music for free, licensed other Creative Commons stuff. Yep, I remember that. That you can use. And then there was, and then you can have Amazon MP3 store was integrated into the app. Um, yep. In order to buy music in app. Yeah, you could do that on Amarok too, which I thought was really cool. Yeah. That, so, th- it, those were things that I really liked. Um, again, there's a lot of other things that I could say I liked about Banshee, but uh, I'm just going to go on and on and on and on if I do. So <laughs> we won't. I like you do about anything else. Uh, and you do with OpenSUSE because <laughs> no. you have a totally unhealthy obsession with it. Almost. But anyway, while I am pining and playing my sad violin for some of the projects i've seen go away wendy what is one project you would like to have still around well that would have been my first linux love i've talked about it quite a few times and that's corora now would i say it's probably a little bit bloated yeah maybe there's a lot of things that i wouldn't necessarily want anymore that it came with But I have incredibly fond memories because it did come pre-set up, ready to go. All of the stuff pre-installed that Fedora is missing. And it gave me all of the software that I could play with and start relating to other things that I'd used in the past. And I was super bummed when this small project went away. I know people tell you... Be wary of these itty-bitty distros that are just run by a couple people because they can go away. But I'm so glad I did get to use it for the time that I did and that it was around when I started using Linux because 
Heck, I even think that I have really, really old copies of it. I'm kind of curious now. As you know, there's a lot of things that I don't throw away. And I do think I have a bunch of old ISOs saved. And some of them might actually be Corora ISO. So I'm going to go ahead and look really quick to see if I have any and what versions they would be. I mean, I totally understand that. I still have boxes of Mandrake Linux from my early days with manuals. So I totally understand. <laughs> <laughs> it actually looks like I went ahead and tossed them. At least they're not in the regular ISO file that I have here. There might be another backup inside the backup that has some in there. Because like I said, I will... When I reload any system, like laptop, whatever, I'll back up whatever is on the drive and move it over. So I might actually have Corora files in here somewhere, but I don't see any right off the bat. And if I did, it would be kind of fun to just boot up the live USB. Not that it would actually work because... Oh, oh, I do have one. I did a search. Thank you very much, Dolphin. And it's actually pulling up several versions. So I have one from Fedora 25, two different Fedora 26 ones, 28. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I have old Corora files on here. I guess it's time to throw it on a flash drive and just boot it for fun. <laughs> I'm looking at some of the desktop images. It looks like it's just built on GNOME. It's a, it's, it runs on a Fedora. Yeah. Well, and there were different versions of it. So most of the ones that I have saved here are the XFC versions. XFC was the first desktop that I was running. And it was because I was doing a search for, you know, what is the lightest desktop? And it kept popping up XF XFCE, XFCE. So that is actually what I ran first on my system was Corora 25 with XFCE. I do have the Mate version. I do have a GNOME version on here as well. Hmm. I hadn't found Plasma yet. It looks like 2017 was the last release of it, Corora 26. And now that Wendy has found Plasma, she will never go back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 I've kind of found my desktop forever home. And thankfully, that's one of those that I don't feel it's going to be going away. There'd have to be some serious stuff happening. And then I'm pretty sure somebody else would pick it up. So absolutely love Plasma now. But my roots were with XFCE and Corora. If you search Corora now, it's a redirect now to getfedora.org. Yep. Yep. As soon as the project went down, or at least not long after that, there for a little while, they had a notice on their page, but not long after that, they did a redirect and it takes you straight to Fedora, which I love Fedora, but, and Corora is one of those distros that helped me fall in love with Fedora, but it came with all of that stuff pre-installed. So after Corora went away, I did start using Fedora itself but then you have to go through the process of adding those extra repos in order to make it fully usable and all of that good stuff. So Corora was a fantastic place to start. It was a great newbie distro for me if we're kind of hinting back to last week's episode. I gotcha. Yeah, I can understand that. 
Losing your uh, <laughs> your first Linux distro, kind of a sad thing. I, I understand. Yeah, yeah, it is. And at least I still have versions of the ISO saved on my backup drive. So I can still get to go play with it. And that's one of the things that I will do this coming week is play with a live version of it. I'm not going to install it. It's not like it's actually going to be usable because all of those repos don't work anymore. But boot the live USB, play for a little bit, and maybe give you some feedback next week of how much of the nostalgia is still there after playing with the live version for a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that'd be fun. Uh, I think I should do something similar with Mandrake, now that I think about it. That would be cool. I don't remember which version it was that we... Uh, that we Was there a mouse in my pocket? I'm not sure which... <laughs> Which version it was offhand? I think it was version nine something. That was when I really like got excited about Linux. My first, like, real, not not just dipping my toes, but actually going, you know, headfirst right into it. I think it was around that, around that. That's when yeah. I have to install. I believe it's nine something, but I I will verify that at some point. Heck yeah, that could be a fun show. Oh yeah, it should. Going back to our first distros. Ooh, that's a good idea. <laughs> I don't want to go back to painful memories. <laughs> what was your first? The first Linux distro I used, I honestly don't remember off the top of my head. It was either Red Hat or Mandrake. It was around 99, like 99, 2000. So like. Oh, wow. Yeah. They were both kind of a big thing out there for the most of the general public to have access to. Because that's back when you could, you know, go into a store and buy a Red Hat or a Mandrake disc right next to a Windows disc. So. Yeah. Goes to show, uh, man, I'm feeling old now. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're not that old, Matt. All I remember is the very first distro I had, it was KDE, because you could configure the heck out of it. And multiple desktops from somebody coming from Windows 95, 98 was mind-blowing. What? <laughs> yeah, it really was. I think it was KDE two that I was that I got introduced to Linux on. Oh, holy cow! I found screenshots of KDE two point something. Yeah, man, that makes it feel like old Windows. Uh-huh. <laughs> I never said it was pretty. Holy but cow! It, it, it's definitely <laughs> not. But of course, this is quite a while ago in the scope of technology time comparatively speaking it was just as good as looking as windows if not better yes yes absolutely totally agree so i think that they have done leaps and bounds in the ui since then but of course just about every single desktop environment has i would say some have went backwards a little bit in certain cases but i'm not gonna you know go there i'm not gonna name names <laughs> it starts with a G, G, or G. Is it G? Mm, I can't remember. I don't know either. <laughs> well, I don't know what you're saying. Hello, Magneto here. This episode of Linux Out Loud is sponsored by Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the password manager that we, well, that they use and trust. Bitwarden lets you set up things like a pin to easily access your password as well as additional authentication such as master password and adding phrases to fingerprint security 
all to keep your password safe. From me. Bitwarden is the easiest and safest way for individuals, teams, and businesses to store, share, and sync their sensitive data. Go to bitwarden.com tux to get started for free. $10 premium account includes one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, or Duo, Vault Health Reports, and TOTP Authenticator Storage and Generation, and Priority Customer Support. Make the smart move, like many from the community have, and go to bitwarden.com tux to get started for free. If you're like my wife, Sinister Wendy, you'll want to show your appreciation by signing up for the Premium Edition, especially since the Premium Edition only starts at $10 a year. Thanks to Bitwarden for supporting this episode of Linux Out Loud. Magneto out. Nate, your current laptop is failing you, but you've started looking into one of these framework laptops, and I'd have to say the latest update from the company looks absolutely amazing. Which one are you looking at? What's kind of some of the base stuff that you're looking into for this laptop? Well, I've looked at framework in the past, and I thought, well, I, I really can't deal with that 3-2 ratio screen. Like something about it is just bothering me and I have no idea. There's no real logical reason other than it's just not what everything else uses. But if I do get another laptop, I, I really want to keep it on the smaller side. So even though like their 16-inch laptop, framework laptop they have coming out is really awesome the way you can move the keyboard, the numpad, and, or do whatever you want. Center the, the touchpad. Like it's a really neat setup. It, I give them a lot of credit for that. I am going to go with the the older 13-inch model because I I just like the smaller form factor. When I take a laptop with me to go someplace, I I don't want it to take up a lot of room essentially. So and and I've really liked the the 14-inch chassis and this is like 13 and a half. So it's pretty close to the same and I think that the experience would be, would be great. But that's yeah, I'm looking at the uh not getting not even getting the the Ryzen one, believe it or not. As much as we talk of all the greatness of Ryzen, and I think it is. You know, AMD is doing a, a great job. I want to go with the the Intel, largely because the fully functional USB-C ports with the Thunderbolt stuff going on. I want to be able to access and utilize that largely. External GPU, amongst other things. So that's that's my main reason for for wanting to go Intel. I know at, at some point in time it's not going to be an issue anymore because the the USB four and whatever whatever the newer uh, standards are, it's it's going to not be an issue anymore. But for the time being, I think I just want to stick with what I know to to work well, and and that's going to be you know the USB C. Now I did look at some reviews, and I'd probably go with the the generation behind because I I don't need the the brand newest of of things, especially since it's a framework. I can just swap in a newer board when that board is like older. Because I always like to stay, you know, behind the, uh, just beyond the the cutting edge of technology because I don't like to bleed to death. But if I can swap in batteries and replace keyboards easily when they fail, uh, I don't know if I can emphasize that enough. As well as, you know, replacing the main board, batteries, you know, and also your, what are your connectors to? That, that to me is very compelling. And when I wasn't, um, you know, unhappy with how my HP has been treating me, I... I really find that, you know, I, I wasn't interested at that point. But now that I'm having issues and I see the difficulty of 
getting to that keyboard and how everything you have to disassemble just to get to the keyboard, which is absolutely ridiculous. Now I'm thinking, well, yeah, that framework is looking pretty good now. now. Obviously, it won't happen right away, but if I start standardizing on on something framework, then I know that I can keep these machines at least for an extended period of time. I don't know how long framework's going to keep this same 13-inch design, if they're going to improve it, if the newer... If they do a new chassis, I don't know how that's going to work with the older chassis because they're obviously changing some things with, with this new 16-inch framework. So it, the way the keyboard inserts on that is way cooler than how they do it on the, uh, on the 13-inch. But I don't care. I, I, I want something that I can actually work on. And that's, to me, that's important. The right to repair. It's a 10 out of 10 from iFixit. That, I think, is pretty exciting. Yeah, and I absolutely love what they're doing with the 16-inch model where you're moving that keyboard around yeah. all over the place and even able to adjust that mm-hmm. trackpad. It's probably the most excited I've been about a laptop in a really, really long time. And it's because it does have not only that ability to replace parts in it, but at the same time being able to customize it for exactly what you need. I do like a larger laptop, so the 16-inch model would be something that I would be going for instead of the smaller one. I like the larger screen. Every time I'm using a laptop, I miss the space. Right now, I've got two 32-inch monitors that I use on my desktop. I love having all of that space to work stuff around, the readability of the text, everything. And so... I don't think I could go to a smaller laptop and be comfortable for working on it for a while. Yeah, for anything like you know, video editing or whatnot, I need more screen real estate. So I, I'll use my desktop or I'll add another monitor to my, uh, my Elite Book. So that, that, but the, I don't really want to use it so much for desktop functions as much as just laptop functions. So I, I, I want my desktop to be, be large and my laptop to be small, I guess. That's really what it boils down to for me. I know the battery life isn't the greatest on this yeah. either, but I mean, if I got six hours out of a, out of a battery, I'm, I'm pretty happy with that. I can, I can deal with the six-hour battery quite happily. And maybe you can do some playing with some of the battery saver stuff and be able to get just a little bit more out of that. Yeah, probably. I, yeah, we'll find out, I guess. I'm not going to order it like today or tomorrow or anything like that. I'm just, I got my eyes on it and it's on the horizon. I, I'm really liking what I see. I keep, I've been doing some more reading and there are some other ideas too, as far as how convenient those boards are for people in the maker space. Yeah. <laughs> Even if I don't use the laptop, there are some other things that has my mind cranking away. And, and I think that it might be the perfect ish platform to, uh, to do some things with. Well, they're even coming out with some cases specifically for the motherboards to have nothing yep. to do with it. In a laptop. Exactly. So, I mean, let's say I want to build another like Commodore 64 imposter. I'd probably put that in there and that would be more than adequate and have a, yeah, it'd be, it'd be oh, yeah. basically perfect. I'd probably have to bring some ports to where I need them, but it would be much cooler running than what I have now. I don't know. There's little things like that. It's pretty compelling, really, amongst other things. Well, Matt, it looks like I'm not going to be cleaning out any laptops anytime soon, but you've cleaned something else out. Yeah, uh, so I did have a little bit of time to do something gaming-related, just no video games. So there is no game this week. (laughs) No game of the week this week, unfortunately. Uh, I ended up tearing apart my PS3, and (laughs) 
cleaning that out because it's been sitting generically in a closed, confined space for three years. So, you know, dust and all that jazz. It was time. Uh, Yeah. yeah. Uh, So, Nate, you have a PS4 for your kids. So when I say the PS4 sounds like a jet engine taking off and when it's running, like playing a game... I would not be far off noise wise, would I? You're saying it was taxing down the runway, getting ready to uh, ready to hit the skies. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it was bad. It, it 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 was bad. Not gonna lie. When you got the dust bunnies inside, you know it's bad. <laughs> um, so I tore it all the way down to the board. So I I pulled up the board. I re I did. And anybody who knows me, anybody who knows me. There is a reason I shit my stuff to Ryan to do because I hate doing this stuff. <laughs> There's a level where I stop. I went beyond that level. <laughs> really? I ended up, uh, oh, I redid the thermal paste and everything else. I took the fan out and picked apart and cleaned apart every single blade on the fan and every bit of cleaning that you would normally expect somebody to do, I did, which. Not my thing normally. If anybody on the network that has been on part of the network knows, it's been bad enough where I will literally ship things to Ryan and be like, you deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> Look at my GPU upgrades on my old uh, workstation. Ryan yeah. had fun doing those. <laughs> Sounds like it. He complained about it for a while. Actually, in fairness, he complained more about how HP built them than anything else. <laughs> But whichever, I, I took it as a complaint against you. I, I didn't really care that it was HP. <laughs> well, given your current status with HP, I would say you would care. <laughs> well, yeah. I would highly recommend people not be afraid of taking apart their devices to, at the minimal, even if I didn't redo the thermal phase, even if that's beyond like your comfort level, just get the cruft out of the interior of your devices. The high-powered vacuum slash fan that I have for cleaning electronics, like internals and stuff, was a godsend when it came to that. Because there was stuff on the board, there was stuff in the drive tray. It was just, I literally got to the point where I was like, how does this thing run? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I needed to get one of those to help clean stuff because I live in a really really dusty environment actually my desktop needs a pretty good cleaning again I do have some non-static brushes that I've been using but I would love to have one of those to help because it is ridiculously expensive to buy canned air plus the waste of what you have to throw away so I love that solution that you have. And I think you shared the one that you have once, but I might have to have you do that again. Yeah, uh, it's definitely really, really, really convenient, not going to lie, because it has like a bunch of, the one I have has like a bunch of different brush attachments and stuff. So my way of cleaning the fan originally, just to get a lot of the cruft off, was I took the brush attachment, put it on the thing, put it next to the fan, and just had the fan spin at high RPM just around in reverse, just to get... a as much of the normal cruft off and then I dealt with all the, you know, leftover stuff, but it is definitely a nice little uh, thing to have when it comes to cleaning like your internals because man, sometimes that's, that's bad when you're just like, uh, compressed air. Uh, Hey, look, I'm out. Yeah. I still have three quarters of this thing to clean. (laughs) 
Well, and my youngest kid, I will put it up in our closet in the bathroom. And I swear, every time he goes in there, he just has to hit the button. <laughs> and so when I need it, it's empty. Oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like kids. <laughs> yes. So while I'm busy cleaning out things that I leave in my living room, like, you know, my PS3, Wendy, you're also doing something with your living room, but particularly your computer system. Yes, I am finally building out the living room system. It is time to get this done. So I am slowly gathering the parts that I want onto a wish list, kind of figuring out where I'm going to go with that. I do have an existing board from my last pre-built. I'm going to be using that CPU that was in it and the RAM, though I might actually need to upgrade that motherboard and that RAM because it's DDR3 instead of DDR4. I know, I know, like really old. And I want the kids to be able to use this for VR, and that's where we're probably going to run into some hiccups. So I did start looking at some RAM and potentially a motherboard for that. This is an older chip. I can't remember exactly what generation this CPU is. I'm going to have to go look at it. And hopefully I will be able to find a board that works for it. It doesn't need a whole lot of RAM in general. But DDR4 is probably going to be the best case scenario for this. So as I start figuring out exactly what different pieces I'm using for it, I'll let you know. One of the biggest issues is just trying to decide on what case I'm going to use. It needs to fit in the space that I've got inside the living room so I can't have a monster of a tower like I have next to me right now. But I've loved my thermal take case and that's probably the way I'm going again. The one I'm looking at is the thermal take view 200 TG. It does come with some rainbow vomit lights in the front of it, which I told the kids that for their desktop computer for this living room system, they could have rainbow vomit if they wanted, and they have <laughs> voted for the rainbow vomit. Of course vomit. they did. Good kids. Good kids. One of the things that I love about this brand, yes, one of the things I love about this brand is pretty much all of their cases have really, really nice airflow, and this one does too. So, yeah, the front of it is glass, but it's got lots and lots of air vents all around the sides to actually get air pulled in. And because I live in a very dry and dusty climate, it's once again going to be a positive pressure system. So there's more air coming in than the fans mostly are pointing in. And then the air pushes out as, it's, as it will, as it's flowing through the case. And that does seem to really help with the dust not settling on certain parts. I can go just a little bit longer before cleanings. My case has some really nice dust filters on the front, bottom, top of the case, and that helps too. I think this one also has some of them. Yeah, looking at the top of it, it has that magnetic dust filter on top, just like mine. This brand's been really awesome. It's really nice to work with cable management. So it's still an ATX. It's a mid-tower instead of a full-tower. So hopefully it will fit 
inside there pretty well. And as far as cases go, it's really not that badly priced. It's right around $80 US. So that's where I'm going with in that route. I also need to be getting an SSD for this and I'd really like to be getting two. One that it boots from and a second one for the games and whatever that's going to stay on it. So for some reason, I need to reinstall the system on it. It's not that big of a deal because all of the stuff that takes a long time to download is on that second drive. And it's just that first drive that needs to be rewiped and installed. That's the way I work things on my main desktop. It's so nice if I do a restall, reinstall, which doesn't happen very often, but all of those games are on their own drive that I don't have to worry about. I don't have to reinstall. I don't have to worry about the data I've lost in the game and starting the game over or whatever. It's all there. All the game stuff is there and ready to go. So I'd like to do the same thing for the living room system. Right now, the biggest thing holding me back is going into the spare room, pulling out that CPU and seeing what generation we're on and kind of figuring out the next step in that realm. Well, I'm sure the kids are excited, right? They are very excited. They actually haven't got to use the VR headset for quite a while. I reworked my office space to make it better usable for me. But in the realm of doing that, it made it not very friendly to the VR headset. Of course, the kids weren't being able to use it as much as they'd like to just because they're like, hey, mom, can I play on? And I'm like, no, I need my computer for X. I need to do this. I've got this project to work on. I have a desktop because uh, I swear I live at this desk and at this computer. Because you do live at it. <laughs> yes. Yes, I do live at So it'll actually give them access to some of the hardware that they have right now and just haven't been able to use. How involved are your kids, I guess, really is what I'm, what I'm wondering in, in this process. They are not really involved when it's coming to picking out the parts, but they will definitely help me put it together. I just wondered like if there anything if there's any particular hardware they're really interested in getting. I know like as a kid when I was younger, I was really particular about the kinds of technology I wanted. So just anything wouldn't make me happy, I guess. So I was kind of picky. So I, I wasn't uh, yeah. sure like if your kids were more mature than me at that age or, or what. <laughs> my kids really aren't that into hardware. They want to be able they're a lot like my husband. They're a lot like Magneto. They want to turn it on do the things that they're doing, and then go about their day. Will they eventually probably be more into what's inside of it? Maybe. One of the kids that is on the robotics team, he's the one that, as we're, like, driving back and forth to robotics, if we get talking about computer parts, he's the one that, like, will talk to me about computer parts. My kids, not so much. Well, they're all different, you know. That's the way it goes. That's right. Now it's your turn to toss in your two cents on today's topics. Hit the discourse form, drop us a line under this video, or contact by visiting tuxdigital.com. If you'd like to hang out with us on our preferred social media, see the links in the bottom of the show description. Find other great shows like Hardware Addicts, Gamesphere, Linux Saloon, and more at tuxdigital.com. Show of your love for your favorite podcasts and shows by visiting Tux Digital Merch Store. Grab yourself some awesome swag like the gamer-centric, I paused my game to be here because, well, we all know he did. 
or join Team Wendy with some sinister Wendy swag. As always, we thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week with another awesome episode of Linux Out Loud. Until then, keep the banter friendly, conversations somewhat on topic, and have fun doing it.